Let's open the Word of God this morning to Proverbs chapter 15 for an opening passage of Scripture that we may designate as our theme verse for this sermon series. Proverbs chapter 15. I hope you notice the exclamation point in Psalm 31 and verse 19. And I hope you saw that uh, those Scottish people that put that Psalter together 500 years ago wanted to preserve that exclamation point for verse 19 that you sang. We use that little black Psalter because we don't know any way better to sing all the Psalms. And we're told to sing Psalms. So that's why we use it. If we had a better way to sing Hebrew poetry, we'd use it, but we don't. So we use the best method that we have, and it's plenty good enough, depending on your attitude toward it. Common meters are called common meters because they're common, meaning anyone can sing them, and everyone knows them, and so it's easy to sing any one of our 150 psalms, all verses of it, to a large variety of common meter tunes. Okay, we have heard the joyful sound. Colin started us out with Psalm 89 this morning and the joyful sound. And so we just sang the song that says, We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves. And it ought to put joy in our hearts and we ought to be expressing our appreciation with joyful hearts and lips. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 15. This is the word of the Lord. All the days of the afflicted are evil. But he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Let's use this as our theme verse, though there are many. We sang already this morning. Rejoice, the Lord is King. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice. Rejoice, again I say, rejoice. Where do those words come from? But Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. All the days of the afflicted. Now because of the second half of this proverb, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast, That but is an inspired disjunctive, meaning the two clauses are set opposite each other. And so we contrast them. Because of the second one, being a merry heart that gives a continual feast, then it is the affliction in the first clause that is by your choice. It is by your choice to be afflicted by the things happening in your life. And when you choose to be afflicted, when you choose to be wounded, when you choose to be discouraged then all your days are evil. They're bad. They're painful. They're troublesome. And that's how the word evil is used in this context. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. A continual feast. Dancing through life. As Habakkuk chapter 3, the last three verses would describe it, is a choice on the inside. It's not a reflection of circumstances on the outside. It starts on the inside with your heart to have a merry heart. And it's a choice to be merry because we just quoted to you from Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So if you choose, and we're going to cover numerous reasons and ways to make the choice to be glad in your heart, not so much today as next Lord's Day, you can have this continual feast. 
The Word of God says so. But if you don't do those things, and you don't choose the merry heart, all your days are evil. Not sinful. It's evil in the sense of painful, troublesome, discouraging, disappointing. The Lord's never disappointing. Never disappointing. So this verse we want to remember. All the days of the afflicted are evil. But he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Thank you, Lord. Look at Deuteronomy 14 with me. Let's turn the pages of the Word of God this morning and consider various scriptures that deal with happiness, our joy and gladness in the Lord, and that happiness is a choice. This is not going to be an exhaustive study because if you were to look up every occurrence of every synonym of happiness, joy, and gladness in the Bible, you would find yourself covering almost all of its pages. So we're just going to gather some, and we have gathered quite a few, uh, for the Lord to encourage us that He wants us to be happy in His worship. Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. Here's one of the tithes of the church of the Old Testament. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed, that the field bringeth forth year by year. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God. Now, other gods want your tithe. God wants you to eat your tithe in the Old Testament. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there. The tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thine oil, and the firstlings of thy herds and of thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. What a way... To learn the fear of God. To use 10% of gross for the good things that you enjoy in His worship. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. No way. The fear of the Lord? Yes. To learn the true fear of the Lord is to celebrate and rejoice before Him. Verse 24, And if thy way be too long for thee, if Jerusalem is too far away, so that thou art not able to carry it, that's your firstlings and your herds, and your corn and your wine, or if the place be too far from thee, which the Lord thy God shall choose to set his name there, when the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, then shalt thou turn it into money, and bind up the money in thine hand, and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose." And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, for oxen, or for sheep, or for wine, or for strong drink, or for whatsoever thy soul desireth. And thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice, thou and thine household. Amen. Amen. This is how the Lord wants us to fear Him, and to rejoice and be glad in His worship. We have been over these verses many times before. I never want you to forget these verses. I want you to be grounded and established and built up in the most holy faith that the God we worship is a God of gladness and a God of joy. He is infinitely happy at this very hour. He has always been eternally, infinitely happy and always shall be. And He wants His children to be that way. And so He calls for Old Testament, painful, harsh worship like this. Praise the Lord. Even in the Old Testament, he knew that a song and thanksgiving was better than bullocks and sheep and oxen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
take your tithe, in verse 22 through 26, take your tithe, convert it to money, and when you get to Jerusalem or to Shiloh or wherever God is worshipped at that particular time under the Old Testament, convert that money back into whatsoever thy soul lusteth after. I didn't know somebody might say that the word lust was ever used in a good way in the Bible. It is. Right here. Whatsoever you lust after, whatever would make you happy, whatever really pleases your palate, buy it with your tithe. But I thought a tithe was to the Lord. This is to the Lord. This has messed us up for years, hasn't it? It's just hard, hard to believe that this is so good under the Old Testament. Eat it with your family. Rejoice, thou and thine household. And this is the fear of the Lord. This is the worship of God. Okay, Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. 23 verses telling us that we need to be very careful in all matters of Christian liberty. Romans 14. Talking about meat and vegetarians and days and those that couldn't just cleanly drop Old Testament holidays. And yet it comes in Romans 14 to verse 17. And it says... For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Don't get all tied up, wrapped up, and in a knot over these rules. Because the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. God doesn't care whether what you eat and what you drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God, even in the midst of all these warnings, is righteousness doing things His way, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So we want to do everything we can to be right, to be at peace with one another, and to have a joy-filled, glad, and happy worship of the Lord. That is the kingdom of God of the New Testament. Look at Colossians chapter 2, a passage I sent you yesterday in the preparatory email. But I want you to remember it. So that when you encounter these ascetics, these monks, these self-deniers that miss the true religion of God, you'll have a passage. For those that have ever encountered Catholicism, and especially older Catholicism, of our fathers of a few hundred years ago, those men understood this passage more than you do. But if you read in the papers, say around Easter time, you will read that in Mexico and in the Philippines, men will crawl through the streets with crosses on their backs and flagellate themselves with whips as if that earns the favor of God. But haven't we just learned that what earns the favor of God is rejoicing in His worship? Not punishing ourselves in His worship. So I read to you, beginning at verse 20, Wherefore, Paul has just taught in Colossians chapter 2 that the Lord Jesus Christ put away all the ordinances, ceremonial ordinances of the Old Testament, all of its holy days, and so forth. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, any worldly, sensual, earthly religion, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Why are you letting men come into your churches teaching ordinances that sound like this? Touch not, taste not, 
handle not, which all are to perish with the using. That's in parentheses. That is a description of this kind of religion where things matter, pleasure, the body is sinful. That is not the case. Jesus died for our bodies as much as our soul and spirit, and our bodies are going to be resurrected, reunited with our souls and spirit, and taken into heaven. But there were heresies that anything that is of matter is of a lower level of importance. Spiritual matters, the thoughts, the movements, the passions of your heart. I've taught this before in 1 John and the Gospel of John as we introduced that study, was evil. Because it dealt with matter, it dealt with the body. That is not true in God's religion. Even in the Old Testament. But here are people saying, don't touch that, don't taste that. Don't handle that. You're going to go to hell. Which all are to perish with the using. After the commandments and doctrines of men, why in the world are you being subject to man-made doctrines and man-made traditions of don't touch this and don't touch that or you're going to go to hell? It's not what goes in here that condemns anyone. It's what comes out from here that condemns Jesus taught another place. Verse 23. Here's how the Lord condemns. This is how the Holy Spirit condemns this false doctrine. Which things, that is, touch not, taste not, handle not, if you can go through life and not do anything that's fun or have any pleasure, which things have indeed a show, it's all for public show, a show of wisdom in will worship. I can deny myself. I don't have to get married. I don't need to get married, say the priests of Rome, say the monks of Rome, say the cardinals and the bishops and the popes of Rome. I don't need to get married, say the nuns of Rome. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship. I don't have to eat meat. I'm a vegetarian Seventh-day Adventist. I don't drink sodas, either full strength or diet. I don't drink coffee or tea. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I'm flagellating myself for the glory of God. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility. Oh, they act that they're so humble. While they take the vow of celibacy in the Catholic Church and neglecting of the body. It's a show of neglecting the body. They want to show you that they're neglecting their body. Not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. God has told us that to satisfy our flesh, and we are not talking about the fleshly principle of sin, we are talking about our physical body being of flesh. That that flesh, that body, we can satisfy with honorable things, and the Lord loves it when we do it. Like whatsoever thy soul lusteth after. In Deuteronomy chapter 14. And like I mentioned to you in the email yesterday, Hebrews chapter 13 says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. So what part of marriage is it talking about? Having the same checking account? Or her taking your last name? It's talking about sex in bed. It's talking about lovemaking. And that is satisfying to the flesh, and it's honorable. Which they don't do with their vows of celibacy, because they think because they want to show a big show of wisdom and will worship. Thank you, Lord. The Lord does not want us to live that way. The Lord has given us given us richly all things to enjoy. First Timothy chapter six and verse seventeen teaches that. Look at First Peter chapter one and verse eight. 
Brethren, I just shared important truth with you from Colossians chapter 2. I preached it many years ago when we went verse by verse and phrase by phrase through that epistle. There are heresies that greatly outnumber us that involve Lent and fasting. No meat on Friday. I grew up in the public school system and there were fish sticks every Friday on every lunch plate in the the hot lunch program of the public school system because the Catholics were being honored. And I've been told it even occurred down here where Catholics shouldn't have been honored. There was a reason they were honored up there. There was a large number of them. Lent. You know, ashes on the forehead. Deny yourself chewing gum for 40 days. Except on Sundays in between. You know, their rules for fasting are ridiculous. It's just a big show. But boy, they like to go out in public with that cross of ashes on their forehead. It's a show. Neglecting the body. Do you know how the Lord gets happy? By us eating whatsoever thy soul lusteth after. You say, isn't there a time for fasting? Yes, there is. Bible fasting, and it's nothing like their fasting. And it's, and where do you do there? Where do you do God's fasting? At home, and no one even knows that you're fasting. Because when you go out into public, you do the opposite of putting a cross of ashes on your forehead. You shine yourself up and dress up and bounce around like you just had the best meal ever. Opposite of everything they do. We never make it a show. It isn't even known. First Peter chapter one. Let's jump tracks a little bit. We're still on joy though, of course. Look what it says in verse 8. Speaking of the appearing, look at the last few words of verse 7. Unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ shall appear again, just like He appeared the first time, literally, physically, bodily. Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see Him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You can turn to the Old Testament. You can turn to the New Testament. You can look for worship under the Old. You can look for the love of Christ under the New. And it's filled with joy. He wants His people to be happy and to be glad in worshiping Him. Remember, from my preaching through the epistles of Peter, these were persecuted, suffering Jews among Gentiles in Asia Minor, where Paul had been the primary evangelist Peter was writing to confirm Paul's gospel as being true. And so he is describing these Jewish believers that were receiving this epistle, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. To be full of glory is to be exulting in triumph and victory. Which they were though they were suffering and being persecuted at the hands of their enemies. Oh, these are just a sampling of scriptures that we could turn to about the importance of happiness and gladness, excitement and joy in the worship of our glorious God. God wants His children to be happy. He gave the spirit of joy and gladness. And the gospel message of glad tidings and good news secures happiness. David danced with all his might and paid for the temple out of passionate joy and excited gladness, not out of duty. There was no duty on him to even think of such a thing. When he first came up with the idea of a temple for the Lord, the Lord said, in all my dealings with this nation, 
From the days of Moses, I've never mentioned that I have need of a fixed house like this. I don't have need of a temple. When did I ever say anything that I was disappointed in being worshipped in a tent? See, David was passionate, so he went beyond duty. Lord, help us to go beyond duty. Let's give him the best that we have to give. Perfunctory or passionate performances are grossly different. Perfunctory is mechanical. It's because it's expected. You go through the motions. But passionate is filled with zeal and vigor and excitement and joy. What a different way to serve the Lord. And we want to come in here and we want to structure everything that we do to encourage us and lift us up in the Lord. From arriving early, where we talk to each other and get ourselves encouraged in the Lord, to the prayer in the back room before the time of starting, to the singing, we want to lift ourselves up in the Lord. So that we give Him our passionate worship, not our perfunctory worship. Every spouse knows a, every spouse knows a pretty big difference between perfunctory love and passionate love. And I'll try to just leave it right there with those words. Though you can think the word mannequin, we don't want to be the mannequins of the Lord. We don't want to just be set up in here and you know tip over if we don't aren't kept straight. We want to come in here and be passionate. And we don't need to be Pentecostals to do that. And we and I don't need to slay you in the spirit like Benny Hinn might. We can just come in here and be excited and thankful that we have heard the joyful sound Jesus saves. We have heard the truth that foolish self-denial like Seventh-day Adventists and Roman Catholics and Mormons and others is wrong in the Word of God. That we we should satisfy the flesh, and there's many honorable ways in which we can do that. Even in the New Testament. That God's given us richly all things to enjoy. When God, that's 1 Timothy 6, 17, it's Paul telling Timothy how to preach to rich people. Charge them that are rich. And this is what he's supposed to charge them. Trust in the living God and richly enjoy all things he's given you. <laughs> you mean he's not, they're not supposed to give it all away and flagellate themselves with a whip and crawl through the streets with a cross on their back? No! They're not supposed to do that. Christians should be the happiest people on earth. If not, it's their fault. It's your fault. Amen. If not, it's a sorry disgrace for our religion and our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. God knows our first love. God knows our lukewarmness. God knows our temperature. He, he infinitely sees all that all the time. We want to make sure that we show Him our heat, our hotness, and our first love. You can dance through life and have a continual feast by learning the verses that I just went over and a whole lot more that go with them. What is happiness? What is happiness? It's having a feeling of great pleasure or contentment of mind, arising from satisfaction with one's circumstances or condition. It's to be glad. It's to be pleased with life. It's the state of pleasurable content of mind, which results from success or the attainment of what is considered good. What is joy? It's a vivid emotion of pleasure arising from a sense of well-being or satisfaction. The feeling or state of being highly pleased or delighted exaltation of spirit, gladness, delight. That's what joy means. Let me say it again. Joy, what does it mean? A vivid emotion of pleasure arising from a sense of well-being or satisfaction. The feeling or state of being highly pleased or delighted. Exaltation of spirit, 
gladness, delight. When we look through the pages of the Bible, I'm going to give you a list of synonyms now, that many of which are in the Bible, some of which are not, but they help us understand the word happiness, just so that we know what we're dealing with. Happiness has many synonyms. Here are, here's a list. Joy, gladness, pleasure, satisfaction, delight, cheerfulness, laughter, enjoyment, blessedness, merry, mirth, rejoicing, joyous, contented, bliss, pleased, pleasantness, joyful, glad, triumphant. All those words are synonyms for happiness and variations of happiness. Think about happiness this way. It is pleasant confidence that things in your life will turn out okay or even better. Okay? Happiness is pleasant confidence that things in your life will turn out okay or even better. Happiness is a thrilling pleasure of having a sensory experience that delights the human soul. Of course, I'm only talking about those that are righteous and accepted. That should be understood. Happiness is thankful relief that danger or fear earlier felt has been lifted and taken away. Happiness can be the exciting reward of working hard for a goal and achieving it, and then some. Happiness can be mutually basking with another person and exploring or experiencing goodness. Happiness can be the feeling of knowing the acceptance and love of God or men toward you. Now, if we put all those together, they are best answered in God sending His Son to be your Savior and saving you from hell and letting you enjoy the presence of Himself inside you by His Holy Spirit and promising you eternal heaven. Now, when I read those definitions to you, you may have been thinking about earthly happiness. But Christians should have it in spades. Christians should have all these descriptions and more due to His great provision for us. Happiness is the energizing joy and excitement of a young couple before marriage. If you say that is mainly lust, be careful. That is mainly lust. You are certainly right. But marital lust is honorable. Didn't we just read that whatsoever thy soul lusteth after? In Deuteronomy chapter 14, a husband's selfish desire for pleasure should be to pamper his wife because that's how he obtains it. And that's the argument that is used to motivate him in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 29. That's what motivated the Lord Jesus Christ to lay down his life for us. Did he lay down his life for you because he felt sorry for you? No, he laid down his life because he was going to glorify himself in heaven by giving himself a spotless bride. It says that very clearly. Husbands, love your wives. Oh, hold on. This is terrible. Can you believe? Hmm. It's going to get worse. This is the Lord humbling me a couple of times this week because I could remember some details. I said, well, I don't have Alzheimer's yet. And I thank the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 
that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And so it is a noble motive for Jesus Christ died for his own pleasure in in his own glory in presenting to himself a perfect church. And so all that he did was to perfect the church so that he would have a perfect bride for eternity. That is what the Bible teaches. And we were talking about a young couple. Now any young couple, to stay happy, they have to work at it every day without fail because it's work. That's why there's commandments in the Bible. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Older women should teach younger women to love their husbands because these things take work. Because it's a choice. It's a choice. All this is a choice. Happiness, gladness, and joy in your heart is a choice. Loving your wife is a choice. Being thankful and giving thanks is a choice. And so we're just commanded to do these things because even though these are powerful emotions, a thankful spirit, love, happiness, powerful emotions that drive men, but they can be chosen. They can be chosen. Love can be chosen. When the church at Ephesus lost their first love for the Lord Jesus Christ, the solution was very simple in three steps. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Remember how you used to love me. Repent that it's not the same. And do the first works. Just do them. You can bring back first love. You can bring back highest joy. You can bring back total thanksgiving and thankfulness. Because it's a choice. And this is really one of the great lessons that I want to bring to you from the Word of God. It's a choice. That's why it's commanded. Because it's a choice. That's why we're exhorted to it over and over again. You know, wicked men might be happy for a season, as the Bible tells us. The pleasures of sin for a season, but it soon turns to be very ugly. Look at Psalm 36, where it tells us what happens to the wicked in their short-term pleasure in sin. And oh, that all young men and all young women and every one of us would learn this. The joy of the hypocrite is short. The Bible says in Job chapter 20, the verses about it are severe and graphic and descriptive. If you were to go to Job 20 and Job 27, be sure your sin will find you out. We're not talking about any joy in sin. Joy in sin is of a short duration. We read today from Isaiah 35.10 and Isaiah 51.11 that everlasting joy has been given to His people by His righteousness. Psalm 36 verse 1, The transgression of the wicked, that's sin. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. Why does a wicked man sin? Because he doesn't fear God. Verse 2, For he flattereth himself in his own eyes, until his iniquity be found to be hateful. He flatters himself that he's getting away with it, that he has found something that gives him great delight, though the Bible may condemn it. He flatters himself. He tells himself it's going to be okay. He tells himself, look what I've found. He tells himself, no one's ever been happier than I am. Until his iniquity be found to be hateful. Why is there so much use of drugs and drunkenness, and divorce, and dysfunction among the rich and Hollywood stars in our society. Because it doesn't work. It's found out to be hateful. 
But you know, the pleasures that God gives His people can be enjoyed forever. They're not for a season, and they are never found to be hateful. They will never disappoint you. If you think they will disappoint you, it's because you're in the flesh, and looking at them while you're in the flesh looks very discouraging, disappointing, and boring in comparison to you right now because sin lies. Sin's a deceiver. But if you by faith will cast aside the world and lose everything for the cause of Jesus Christ, you will find the greatest measure of happiness, satisfaction, fulfillment, joy, and gladness without end. It'll carry you right on into heaven. It'll be with you when you're standing before the judge of all. It's never like this. Lord, help us to learn real joy and real pleasure. Their pleasures all end as they're thrown into the grave in hell. Isn't that what Psalm 49 teaches, Adam? They're thrown into the grave like carcasses. And everything about them ends. But verse 15 says something different about David. God shall redeem my soul from the power of the grave. Yes. We did, our joy goes right on into heaven. Look at Psalm 4. Psalm 4. David knew his joy was greater than the wicked's prosperity. Psalm 4, 7. Thou hast put gladness in my heart. Thou hast put gladness in my heart. How does God do that? Sometimes He does it directly by sending us His Holy Spirit. Sometimes He does it indirectly by His Word. We read a promise and it lifts us. We read of a past deliverance and it lifts us. Sometimes He delivers us and saves us from something like we heard from Psalm 31. And when God delivers us, it gladdens and quickens our hearts. He does it in various ways. But it's the Lord. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I don't like reading to you definitions of happiness. I don't like reading to you definitions of joy. I don't like reading synonyms to you except that they are in the Bible. Because what I want you to know is we want to take that word and rescue it from the world that thinks that they have discovered happiness or joy or gladness. They haven't. They're lying to themselves. It is going to be found hateful in this life and it's going to send them to an eternal hell. How happy is that? And so I love a verse like this. That a Christian walking with the Lord, delighting in His Word, full of the Holy Ghost, not quenched, not grieved, can experience this. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. That is financial prosperity. That is economic success. That is getting ahead. That is getting rich. And when men get rich, they will praise themselves. They will exalt themselves. But David said, you've put gladness in my heart more than that. I have a different level of joy, David said. Lord, help us to have that joy. The best a worldling knows is similar satisfaction to a pig with a new mud puddle. They've returned to their wallowing and like a dog to its vomit. Some of you took human psychology in college, and you probably saw a pyramid by Abraham Maslow. You know, the, the top little doodad was self-actualization. Remember all that junk? 
The bottom level of the pyramid was having your basic needs satisfied like food and so forth. I just wasn't creative enough the last two weeks. I wanted to unveil a new pyramid. You can find it in the Bible. There is foundational truth of fearing God, loving God, delighting in God, not quenching or grieving His Spirit until you arise, until you rise to an apex of true human happiness in the Lord. I didn't bring it. I've just described it to you, and whoever wants to be creative and send me an email, I'll send you to lunch. I hope that you can imagine that in your, in your mind. You know, there is basic, fundamental fear of God, and that saves us from so much because the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, right. the beginning of knowledge, and you can just rise right on up into love of God, into delighting in Him, into obeying him and basking in the fullness of his presence with you by an unquenched, ungrieved spirit of God until you rise, till you are so close in union with God. Like in the case of Enoch, God just said, just come on up. And so it builds. And we want to progress beyond just bare fear, bare love, bare belief of the gospel. We want to walk with God and delight in him and be fully filled with his joyful presence, power, and energizing spirit. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Partakers of the divine nature. Can, can you think of verses that, Oh! Why didn't you come up with something, Pastor? Why couldn't I remember Ephesians 5.25? Though the Lord is good. I hate that humanistic pyramid. I remember learning it. About 20 years of age or so. Lord help us. We can do better than that. Our God is happy. Let me spend a few minutes on the fact that our God is happy. Do you believe that about our God? His name says it all. I am that I am. There isn't one little bit of him that I am what others have done to me. I am that I am. Oh, I love that name. Look at Psalm 115. Just, just a few minutes. Oh, brethren, if you wonder sometimes why I do certain things, and I'm, ah, it's, it's no science and it's no art. It's just trusting God and trusting you. I don't want to wear the people of God out. Sometimes in the summer you're coming and you're going and people are traveling and we have a few more activities than others and I, the Lord just leads us and I hope that I follow him. So I'm not going to take that long. This isn't a deep and complicated subject. The choice is yours. Are you going to confess your sins, live a holy and a righteous life, and seek out the pleasure and joy of God? And next Lord's Day, I'm going to come with suggestion after suggestion after suggestion, cure after cure after cure, taught in the pages of the Bible for you to be happier in Him. But right now, I want to lay a foundation because first things have to be first. Last night when I wrote you and showed you Colossians 2 that we can satisfy our flesh, our bodies, our physical desires, honorably, Old Testament, New Testament, it's taught in both. I said, well, we got to get first things first. Real joy in the Lord starts out with Him. Okay? So that's why i got to have a foundation. Otherwise, we'll get twisted out of shape and I'll be sounding like Joel Osteen. 
You guys can do it for me. Save us, Lord. You're first, always first. I know where you turn. You turn to Psalm 115, but hold your finger there and and pop back uh, to say Psalm 43 as an example. Psalm 43. Oh, I don't want to forget this. And you'll probably hear this one again before the day's over. We don't want just a positive mental attitude. We don't want to be happy like the world says those words. We want to love the Lord God of heaven and His Son Jesus Christ and have Him fill us with happiness upon divine things and divine promises and divine power and His presence so that earthly things become, as we sing in a song that I used to sing growing up, strangely dim. Strangely dim in the light. Anybody remember that? the rest of it? Yes! In the light of His glory and grace, the things of earth become strangely dim. There was once upon a time, you know, when you would have looked at those earthly things and thought, this is it. Man, this is, this is as good as life gets. Then you meet the Lord and He takes you to a higher level and those things look strangely dim. Help us, Lord. That's higher ground. That's Psalm 43 and 4. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Psalm 43, 4. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. Brethren, my sisters, I want God to be your God. I want the Lord Jehovah to be your God. I want you to go to His altar in your home. We don't have an altar in the New Testament. The altar is in heaven. Jesus went there and offered Himself before God and was received by God and accepted. And He has been, He has satisfied God. But it's your home altar, your heart altar. I want you to go unto the altar of God, unto God your exceeding joy. That's where it starts. And so let's keep first things first before we start thinking that celebrating like Deuteronomy 14, 26 is where it's all wrapped up. No, that's farther up the list. But we start with the foundation And that is delighting in God Himself and walking with God Himself. Oh God, my God. God, my exceeding joy. How many other joys did David have that were as great? None. Because his joy in God exceeded them. Okay, Psalm 115, God is happy. Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. If He's done whatsoever He hath pleased, then He's full of pleasure. If He's full of pleasure, He's as happy as He can be. And for God to be as happy as He can be, He's infinitely happy. Our God is in the heavens. You say, but what about all the bad things that happen on earth? Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. Every bad thing that happens on earth works to the praise of God. He's still infinitely happy. It goes on and on in the, in the Word of God. The Lord hath made all things for Himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Proverbs 16.4 That's hard for some people to believe. It's the Bible. The Lord hath made all things for Himself, yea, in case you're going to bring up the worst possible extreme, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. They were made for God's glory. 
I am that I am. That's the name of our God. That's what he told Moses to tell the people of Israel when those elders would ask him, what's the name of God if he sent you to us? You tell them, I am that I am. And that was new revelation in the history of the world. Because the world had existed for 2,500 years, and to Abraham and the patriarchs, God had only revealed himself as God Almighty. But to Moses, he revealed himself as I am that I am. And that sentence, when it is reduced to the Hebrew consonants, J-H-V-H, and pointed up with European vowels, we pronounce it as it's pronounced in Exodus chapter 6. Exodus 3 is the burning bush where God said, I am that I am. Exodus 6 is when God told Moses, I've never appeared to anyone else by this name, by my name, Jehovah. Not Yahweh. Don't even get me started a little bit. I don't know who in the world they're talking about. Jehovah. Oh, we love thy name, O Lord. I am that I am. Help us always to find our joy and happiness and gladness and excitement in thee. Let us dance with all our might like David did. Let us want to build an exceeding magnificent temple to thy glory because the palace is not for men but for thee. Let us build this church of living stones that would glorify thy name and especially the name of thy son, the Lord Jesus Christ, which means Jehovah is salvation. Jehoshua. In the Greek, Jesus. In Hebrew, Jehoshua. J-E-H-O-S-H-U-A-H. The name of Joshua. Joshua has seven names in the Bible. Go look at them all so that you can see his full name. When he wrote it out in full, see my name can be written out Jonathan, it can be written out John, J-O-N. Joshua is short. His full name is Jehoshua. Jeho, what do you think that stands for? J-E-H-O, do you think it stands for Yahweh? <laughs> Jehoshua. Jehovah, Shua, is salvation. Jehovah is the Savior. That name came into Greek, into English, and it's Jesus. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, because he shall save his people from their sins. God hath given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Oh, we thank thee, Lord. Look at Job chapter 35 to see that God's pleasure, happiness, gladness cannot be impinged upon by men. If you can find a place in the Bible where it says that God was grieved, or God's using terminology for your benefit to understand that he's about to punish some men. Job 35, verse 5. Look unto the heavens and see, and behold the clouds which are higher than thou. Now do we have a man speaking right here that knows what he's talking about? There are five men in the book of Job, and four of them didn't know what they were talking about. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Job. But this young man, Elihu, was inspired by God, as he told us in chapter 32 and 33, and he knew what he was talking about. So he's talking to Job to set things straight. Job, look unto the heavens and see, and behold the clouds which are higher than thou. If thou sinnest, 
What doest thou against him? Or if thy transgressions be multiplied, what doest thou unto him? If thou be righteous, what givest thou him? Or what receiveth he of thine hand? Thy wickedness may hurt a man as thou art, and thy righteousness may profit the Son of Man. But you're not going to add to or take away from God. This is what the Bible teaches about the Godhood, the Godhead. Lord, help us to always remember that. Look up at those clouds and think of the creator of those clouds far beyond the clouds and think whether you add to or take away from Him. You don't take away from God. You've never sinned a sin that He hasn't allowed, purposed, planned, managed, overruled, and will use for His honor and glory and your profit. And forgiven at the cross of Calvary through Jesus Christ, His Son. God is happy. God is happy loving His people. Look at Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62 and verse 5. Isaiah 62 and verse 5. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride so shall thy God rejoice over thee. This is God rejoicing over His people, though it is hard to believe. If you can find the little minor prophet of Zephaniah, look at Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17. Zephaniah three seventeen. Zephaniah three seventeen. Listen to these words. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in His love. He will joy over thee with singing. These are expressions in the Bible. Do you know why He saved us? For the good pleasure of His own will. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9. Romans chapter 11 and verse 36. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Our God is happy. He's not like those other gods of the Greeks and the Romans. And the pagan Canaanites. Our God is happy. He delights in Himself. He delights in His own attributes of perfection. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Righteousness, judgment and mercy that He shows in the earth. He loves the man that delights in those things because He says, I delight in them. I delight to do mercy. Micah chapter 7 and verse 18. The Lord God of heaven that we worship does everything good and very good. When He created, He looked at each day's creation and said, It is good. Goodness leads to happiness. Goodness is happiness. The angels sang and rejoiced at creation because God was happy. Do you think the angels were rejoicing at creation because God was unhappy? Job chapter 38 and verses 4 through 7 that the angels sang and rejoiced together as God flung this universe into being. God delighted in His Son and His Son delighted in Him. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God is happy wherever you turn the Word of God. When Jesus prayed and said, Lord, You've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to the babes, He had the answer. He knew the answer because it seemed good in thy sight. So revealing and concealing are both good in his sight. He's always happy. All goodness comes from God and he sends good forth as an expression of himself. Good thrills our souls. 
Do you know when you're thrilled with anything that is not sin, God is speaking to you? Good news. Does Proverbs speak about good news from a far country? Good words. Is a good word like apples of gold and pictures of silver? Is it a very good and beautiful thing? A good spouse? A man that has a good spouse has obtained mercy and favor of the Lord. Good food. All those good things God sends, the Bible tells us clearly, they are an expression of witness that He's in heaven and He is a good being. He is a happy being expressing goodness. Not badness. Every What kind of gifts come down from the Father of lights? Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. Everything He created was good and very good. There was nothing bad from Him. He left witness of Himself in the earth by sending gladness into hearts, even those of reprobates. God delighted in David and Solomon. He'll take pleasure in any obedient person. Look at Psalm 147. God, this is just, these are just a few verses about the infinite happiness and pleasure of God that we want to understand as a foundation. We don't want to think of our God as just a big rolling ball of thunder and lightning sitting on a throne waiting to reach out and strike someone and, and kill us and send us to hell. He's a glorious heavenly father and he pictures himself in the pages of scripture like that. But that's for the wicked. He pictures himself in scripture in many other ways. Many other ways. He says, I'm a, I'm a father like you haven't met before. All you men that are sinners, this is Jesus teaching, when your child asks a fish of you, you don't give him a scorpion. When he asks bread of you, you don't give him a stone. If ye being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much? We can't even measure it. How much more? We can't even measure it, Lord. How much more shall your heavenly Father give good gifts to them that love him? On and on it goes. I like this in light of the Olympics coming up in the next couple of months. Psalm 147, verse 10. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him, in those that hope in His mercy. Now does, hold on. Does God take delight in the strength of the horse? Yes, He does. Does He brag about His horse in the book of Job? Yes, He does. But here in comparison, do you know what He's saying? Do you know what really pleases Him? Them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. Amen. Thank you, Lord, that we can achieve that without an Olympic gold medal. We can achieve you taking pleasure in us. God's heaven is a place without any more tears, crying, sorrow, or pain. Does that sound like a happy place to you? Yes. It's because he's there. Jesus Christ saw heaven's joy, and heaven's joy to him was sufficient for him to take and endure the suffering of the cross. Paul taught in Romans chapter 8 that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us when we are in heaven glorified in a glorified universe. God is infinitely happy. And as soon as his time of probation for this earth is over with, he will burn it up and incinerate it, and it shall melt with fervent heat, and the universe will be transformed 
and righteousness will dwell therein, and it will be beautifully glorious. God wants you to be happy. You're his child. Why did he save you? So that you could inherit him in the universe. And what is involved in him in the universe? Infinite happiness, infinite pleasure, infinite joy at the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't deserve it. It's beyond comprehension. But God chose to save some rebel enemies for the display of his grace and glory to the whole universe. And the formal, final, final of this whole thing is about to take place. All to the glory of God as he rejoices in vessels of mercy and vessels of wrath for his praise. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.